0: If you have a brain, you have bias. So let's just own it. Some biases help us by simplifying our decision-making process. Other biases hold us back by impacting who gets hired and promoted, and even who we approach to be our friends. Welcome to Breaking the Bias, a podcast where we interview impact makers who are breaking the bias when it comes to inclusion and equity because sharing our stories is how real belonging happens.
1: You know, every single person, unfortunately, is going to come out the other side of this. And I don't Doesn't feel like this right now because it just feels like we're in the middle of the storm. But we will come out of the other side of this. All of us will be touched in a different way. We'll all know somebody or we'll be directly affected by a loss. So with that said, it's okay for you to Step away. It's okay for you not to be business as usual and worried about your productivity levels being the same as last quarter or this time last year. It's okay to, you know, step away and let people know,
0: hey, I'm just overwhelmed right now. Do you mind if I have, if I take just 20 minutes? I'm Holly Corbett, director of content at Consciously Unbiased. On this episode of Breaking the Bias, we're speaking to Kay Fabella, a diversity and inclusion consultant who is a Filipino American currently living in Spain. Kay talks about how no one realized, until moms and dads started turning into human jungle gyms on Zoom calls, just how important it is for people to have real conversations about caregiving duties and the workplace. Kay also shares her personal experience with burnout and depression, and offers some advice on how to care for your own mental health during this quarantine. Here's Kay's story. You have such an interesting story. You're a Filipina-American living in Spain now, right? Yes, you got it. Oh, and so just wondering, I mean, obviously what's at the top of the news feed is the, the coronavirus and how it's impacting people and, and businesses and the economy and would love to just to hear how how is it going in Spain right now? What's what's happening over there and how is everybody staying connected um, with the social distancing?
1: Yeah, so we are probably I would say compared to the US, maybe a week two weeks depending on where you are in terms of your shelter in place policy or you know whatever people are calling it lockdown quarantine I've heard five different versions of it over the past couple weeks it's like it's really gone through a rebranding very quickly (laughs) Um, (laughs) but so I would say like we're one to two weeks ahead of where you guys are in the U.S. Um, I know on our end it we didn't take it as seriously. I think like we didn't we were one of the first countries to get hit really hard, but it seemed like it happened overnight. It went from, I think something like two hundred and fifty confirmed cases to eight thousand in a week. Wow. so, and and I mean, the numbers are just you really, for your mental health, just can't can't look as much at the numbers. you have to stay informed and aware, but it really is. and like I was saying to you, even before the podcast, I, the only safe place in my house to record right now is the closet because we just have sirens going off, um, you know, rather rather frequently. Um, so I think in between all that, obviously, with the really hard situation of just knowing that this is happening, and you know, we've just at the time of this recording have extended our lockdown for another 15 days, so it'll be a total of 45. And you know, ho- who knows how long that's going to go on for. So at this point, I can say the bright side is we still have toilet paper. um (laughs) which there's definitely hand sanitizer (laughs) and things to go around so that's good and and it's been really you know in the midst of what feels like a very overwhelming situation I've just been completely you know blown away by the creativity that I've seen you know all these tiktok memes and uh you know there was this beautiful display of just kind of spur of the moment jam session situation Mm. happening. It's one of the things I'm really grateful for in Spain that so many of us have balconies (laughs) Mm. and we live in so many apartment complexes. So we, even especially in cities, you don't feel as disconnected from one another. There was uh, a man playing on his balcony in Barcelona, uh, a Titanic song, My Heart Will Go On. And then like at the block over, there was a man who joined in with his saxophone, <laughs> which was just like, <laughs> what? That's so crazy. Um, but and at the same time, concert. exactly. And everybody's just like hanging out on their balconies, chilling. And it's like, well, we got nowhere else to be. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, which was lovely. I mean, I've definitely seen, you know, at least within companies that I've worked with, so many people are just trying to use... Uh, technology platforms, whether that's internal tools or external ones that they're even learning to download now. Zoom, for example, this one that we're using to record this call has definitely been a a popular one. Mm -hmm. Um, And just seeing how people are really reaching out to one another and checking on one another. I think that there's just a lot more empathy and understanding because what we are going through right now is collective trauma. It is, um, different stages of grief that all of us are going to have to go through not just as individuals but collectively and especially for someone like me who you know I've been in Spain for 10 years I have family back in California and I have obviously my parents are from the Philippines so you see kind of this global perspective not just in terms of how it's happening but you're almost grieving for the injustice of how it's affecting each person so knowing that that's the reality for every single person on different Levels and different scales of how they 're experiencing a very overwhelming situation there 's just more empathy I think in conversations that i 'm seeing, and that i 'm
0: really encouraged by as well, and we mm-hmm. are all experiencing this on a global scale in a way that i don 't know if there 's ever been anything that we 've all kind of experienced at the same time at, on such a scale that 's impacted everybody on such an individual level, but um, at the same time it's it 's also really. Bring to light these some of the inequalities, and um, and you do a lot of work with DNI. This is this is a big shift, but just yeah. wondering do do you think that there'll be more or less of a focus on diversity and inclusion uh, work in organizations in in light of this public health crisis?
1: I absolutely think so. I'm also, as you can probably tell, even just from from the first few minutes of of our conversation, I'm also very much an optimist. I think that I've seen more collective examples of human goodness and human kindness and connection in general in life in spite Mm -hmm. of the things that i've experienced so that's kind of what i hold on to and i think you need to hold on to hope in dark times mm-hmm. but especially even speaking to other diversity and inclusion practitioners who understandably especially if you're working in a company right now you're worried about being discretionary budget i know you know colleagues of mine who have been let go because you know they're not considered a priority but one of the things that i'm even having conversations with with other people who are doing dni initiatives in companies or who are looking to get into this work right now and are saying you know is now a good time to even be job hunting or searching for things and i'm like absolutely i think that the companies that you know imagine 2021 or 2022 and all of this is kind of settled and and you know we know that we're safe to come out again without masks and gloves and all of that um, The thing that I know a lot of people are going to be asking when they are able to get back into the job market, when they are able to, you know, uh, have flexible, you know, working or any of the things that we aspire to have within, if we're aiming to work in organizations in the future, we're going to look back on this time. And I know one of the questions candidates will ask, whether they're your current or future employees will be, how did you handle the crisis? How did you take care of your people? And whether or not you want to be on the right side of that story, that's completely up to you as an organization right now. So I think if anything, I would be doubling down if anyone is listening to this or is looking to, you know, how do I, you know, is diversity inclusion still a priority for me? Absolutely. For the reasons that you mentioned, Holly, in terms of, you know, it's affecting BIPOC, like marginalized communities who are already you know, systemically affected by this, um, tend to not have as much access to either resources, health insurance, um, are not as likely to even seek medical help because they're worried about the health care bill that they'll receive. Some of them may even be illegal immigrants. So they're worried about, you know, putting their heads out and saying, hey, I need medical help, uh, domestic violence uh, victims who have to now be with their abusers 24-7. I mean, there's so many layers to that just within that group and you know depending on who's working in your company and who's considered an essential worker at this time there's such a massive scale in terms of how you have to serve each of their needs so are you taking care of those people in your organization are you taking care of the people who and this is a big conversation now in dni the caregiving space you know, nobody really realized until, you know, moms and dads started to turn into human jungle gyms on calls, how big of an, an issue it is to have the conversation around who's the caregiver and the household, which, you know, understandably tends to fall on women. But then on top of that, you add the other layers of whether or not, you know, I know Latinx families are also my my Filipino family. We're very family oriented. Our culture is very family oriented. So what tends to happen is there are multiple generations in a household. So what do you do for that group of people who, like you said, their work from home situation is not going to be equitable or similar to somebody who maybe has access to more things or more resources or more privileges, right? So just because we're not seeing people, and even though, you know, there's so many things that, you can consider now as a company, you really have to be thinking about not just how are you building the current culture and continuing to take care of your people right now, but also taking care of the people who are going to be looking to you and what your company did in the future. So I think diversity and inclusion is absolutely something com- companies should continue to prioritize right now and even more so now while We are sheltering in place or working from home, and this is affecting all of us in different ways and in ways that we can't even see each other every day because there's also the additional mental health, loneliness, you know, conversation to this that we're also, that there's also a huge part of the conversation that we're not, that we don't even have the data or the understanding of how this will affect people moving forward. So I think all of those things really are diversity inclusion issues, and if anything, we should be doubling down on it
0: yeah and I think I, I love your your take on optimism and you know tr- trying to find the the silver linings and you know before the coronavirus there's a lot of talk um, on LinkedIn for instance about the human leader and, and human workplaces and this this um, coronavirus crisis where now so many of our uh, we're working from home and our personal lives are, are overlapping with our, our work lives, I think my hope is that it will break down some of those barriers from uh, employees and workers really being able to bring their whole selves to work because we're seeing people beyond just their their role in, in the workplace. We're seeing them as, you know, multidimensional with all these different aspects and identities and um, accounting for all of that uh, workplaces that are able to embrace that, accommodate that, that are able to um, give employees, you know, a little bit of space, some more understanding, like you said, okay, empathy. Um, I, I too believe will come out on, on top because I think that makes for a more loyal workforce. I think it makes for a, a more productive work maybe not in the moment, maybe not right now, but (laughs) definitely in the long term. And if you're in it for the long game, then that's, that's what's important. Um, I think people are, are your greatest resource. So,
1: oh,
0: great points. And you also mentioned mental health. Um, Mental health is obviously huge. And I know the World Health Organization recently named burnout as um as an official condition. And you yourself experienced that. Your your book, Rewrite Your Story, um, is about your own experiences with burnout and, and mental health. And so I'd love just to hear a little bit about your your journey there and then what you think people can do to kind of take care of of themselves and their mental health in this, you know, uncertain time.
1: Absolutely. I think it's a great point that you mentioned about just the fact that it is something that is recognized as an additional element, even before this pandemic. But imagine you know, I'm even just thinking kind of on a basic level of my extrovert friends who are just like, what are we doing at home? We need human connection. It's been so long. Um, But, you know, jokes aside, I think mental health is a conversation that I'm obviously very passionate about for the reasons that you said, because I was unfortunately someone who was affected by burnout very early on in my career. So to give a bit of background before I moved to Spain, way back before I moved to Spain, feels like a lifetime ago, I was lucky to have a job, or at least I perceive myself as lucky to have a job in another recession (laughs) Mm. Um, back in 2008 when I graduated. And I was one of the few people in my graduating class who didn't have to take out a student loan to go to a master's degree and hope to write it out or move back with their parents. And so that in itself was already mind blowing for me. Mm. And then on top of that, I got a job and I was, you know, somebody who is a chronic overachiever. And I really felt this probably a combination of imposter syndrome. And also I was young and I was like, oh, but, you know, they could hire somebody else at any given point in time. So I was working to, in my head, make myself indispensable to this organization. And we all know how that turned out. Mm -hmm. It didn't go very well. And I remember it was a sunny Saturday morning one summer that I was on the East Coast and I was calling my family back in California. And I just remember struggling to find the strength to actually you know, raise my hand to even leave my bed to call my parents. So I just kind of reached for it on my bedside table. And when I finally picked up the phone, I just remember saying, mom, dad, I've been crying for four hours straight. I don't know what's wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And, and I realized, you know, soon after that, when I did manage to get to, uh, and I have luckily had access to, you know, medical health, uh, medical medical insurance and health professionals, um, I managed to see somebody who diagnosed me with clinical depression, mm. which I then end up, ended up having to spend over a year recovering from. And I think that, you know, this was a real wake up call for me because I was 22. Mm. I was very young and I didn't realize even for myself, you know, what, I was chasing was this idea of success but more for the I feel like I have to earn my right to be here because I don't know. It was probably just a, you know, a feeling of the lack of uncertainty, the not even knowing how to reach out to people to let them know that I was struggling, you know, working long hours, working weekends, regularly pulling all nighters for work. And and so I unfortunately learned the lesson too late that I had to kind of ease up off the gas pedal and approach things from a place of, you know, not you know what's the next box to check off, but rather what feels like the next right thing for me in this moment. And that was a very humbling experience. And I think that when you've you know whether it's anxiety, depression, or any sort of mental health disorder, whether it's something that has happened to you from a, a particular circumstance or condition, you never want to feel that bad again. <laughs> it's something that I think I'm glad in a way that I learned it early because it's made me much more intentional in my career choices, intentional in my decisions personally as well. A big part of the reason I moved to Spain was because I was like, well, you know, Spanish is something that I've always wanted to really get good at. I was thinking of, you know, going back to the job market later. And, you know, Spain was a place I'd studied abroad in undergrad, and I really loved it. I said, you know, I'll go for a year, I'll teach English, and I'll come back and I'll, you know, start my job. But I want to do something that feels right now like the right thing for me. And, Obviously, I met my Spanish partner, my husband, um, my first year. And so now I've been here 10 years, (laughs) which is, um, you know, a whole other story in itself. But what I realized as a result of that, and one of the reasons why mental health continues to be so important for me is because as somebody who is more introverted, who, you know, still has her ups and downs, you know, battles with either anxiety or depression, um, has to actively work to maintain and manage my mental health it's something that even for a person who considers themselves strong, or a person who is trying to show up to a work culture that requires, you know, productivity and ROI and KPIs over mental health, I think that it's something that's often a missing component in the conversation, you know, millennials, especially, which is, you know, what I identify as are called the burnout generation for a reason. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that it's because of the, the broken work culture that we've had, where we're trying to force people into, like you said earlier, showing up as one part of themselves or checking part of who they are at the door to fit into a role, to fit into what an organization deems as culture fit. And I think the reason why burnout mental health is such a critical part of the conversation, especially now with everything that's happening with the coronavirus, is that we how could you ever expect to be either productive or feel safe or interact with your coworkers or your managers or your colleagues if you feel like you're always hiding a part of who you are mm-hmm. and if a part of who you are is whether it's you know um you know I've, I've interacted with people in tech organizations who said I felt like I couldn't come out as gay until a year later you know maybe it's you know uh, I don't want to share to people that I'm worried about whether or not my visa is going to get renewed. Maybe it's not willing to share to people that actually you don't really like these all-nighter kind of happy hour broey, you know, for lack of a better word, broey. Um, Environments where you feel like you're often missing the conversation or totally out of the inside jokes. And so you don't feel, or you, even the simple thing of like, I don't feel safe going to work happy hours where I could network with people because I'm not, I'm worried about walking home at night on my own. Mm-hmm. There are so many parts of you that you have to hide and keep hidden that I think that obviously if we're able to create safer spaces within organizations where we're able to, you know, whether it's, you know, offering um you know qualified mental health professionals whether it's giving people spaces within things like employee resource groups which i know are really the shining leaders right now <laughs> um or even managers with their direct reports creating open office hours where they can talk to them one on one in a non work setting in a non meeting setting it's just creating safe spaces for conversation where people can little by little know that they can be seen and recognized for who they are i think that's That's really what mental health boils down to for me. And, you know, I'm lucky that I'm now in a position where I've created a routine and I've created a business that allows me to continue to keep anything that, you know, could threaten my livelihood or, you know, my own sort of ups and downs with depression at bay. But for those of us who don't have those privileges or those, who, those of us who don't have access to those resources, I think it's a really important part of the conversation, especially now, to consider when we're talking about diversity and inclusion. Yeah,
0: yeah. And there are so many points that you brought up, so many great points. Um, but just how important mental health is in the workplace and how we really need to be having these conversations, not, not hiding them. Um, You mentioned creating spaces within organizations for employees to share their individual stories and be able to show up because if it takes a lot of energy to um, cover as they call it, or, or hide a part of yourself and, and you can't, uh, you can't do your best work or be your best self if so much energy is spent, uh, you know, hiding different parts of yourself. And as you were talking, I was just thinking of, you know, all of the the individual situations that people are, are going through right now, um, people who are struggling with anxiety and, and depression and how that could be amplified now because of the uncertainty uh, for the future and um, because of our, also our inability to be able to connect in the way that we normally would be able to connect. Um, There are so many different experiences that people are having from people living alone in apartments, for example, in New York, where it's shelter in place um, and experiencing loneliness to working parents, um, intergenerational families, as you mentioned, who are now doing triple duty with homeschooling and balancing work, the people who are, like you said, trying to be indispensable uh, to their organization, especially in this time where our jobs are not guaranteed. Jobs are never guaranteed, but people are, I mean, the unemployment numbers are... Record breaking right now. So mm-hmm. amidst all of this and all these different different uh, situations that people are in, I think the the common thread is it sounds like is to y- give yourself a break and and have compassion for for yourself right now because pushing ourselves. Um, isn't probably going to make us more productive, anyways, and it'll probably just lead to feelings of burnout and anxiety. Is there anything else that that you know you think it's important for people to know um, in in this time of of uncertainty that they can do to take care of themselves?
1: Yeah, I I think that there's so much there's so much that we have to consider. When, when dealing with our own grief and our own trauma, I think the first thing to do is, you know, because it touches all of us on different levels, and we're going to experience it in different ways. And there is no handbook for a pandemic. If you have one, let me know. Um, but I think that um, the understanding that this is going to be hard and this is going to be difficult. And it's going to hit you in waves. If you have lost someone, I, you know, I lost my grandmother a couple of years ago um, to natural causes, but, you know, the grief, it's almost like the, 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 knowing the journey of grief, I I liken it to, I used to say during the time that I was, you know, grieving my grandma and who I still miss to this day. I was like Moana, <laughs> I was like riding waves. <laughs> and it was really just, you know, when a wave hit, you either had two choices. You could either try to ride it for as long as you could, or you slipped under and just let it happen. And I think that if hopefully that's an image that resonates with people because this will hit in waves in different ways that you can expect right now that you can't even anticipate in ways that you may be nervous to share. So maybe it's just checking in with yourself first off in every situation, whether it's, you know, getting up in the morning, you know, reading a piece of news, um, stepping into a meeting virtually at this point, um, or even interacting with an email, knowing that, you know, at any given point in time, a wave will hit and just being present and knowing that it will happen and deciding in that moment, like, do I feel capable of writing this out or do I have to let myself just slip under and feel it? And if I need to let my slip, myself slip under and feel it, if you are able to communicate it to someone to let them know what you're feeling, someone that you trust, I think you know this goes for colleagues and teammates as well as managers at this point in time. Hopefully you'll be safe enough to know and because everybody is collectively experiencing this as well, that you can share what you're going through and say, I need to step away right now. I need a mental health hour. I need a mental health day, or I need to you know, just be with my family. You know, Every single person, unfortunately, is gonna come out the other side of this. And I don't, doesn't feel like this right now because it just feels like we're in the middle of the storm. But we will come out of the other side of this. All of us will be touched in a different way. We'll all know somebody or we'll be directly affected by a loss. Mm. So with that said, it's okay for you to, step away. It's okay for you not to be business as usual and worried about your productivity levels being the same as last quarter or this time last year. It's okay to, you know, step away and let people know, hey, I'm just overwhelmed right now. Do you mind if I had if I take just 20 minutes or my kids are climbing on top of me, or I'm worried about my partner who's a nurse on the front lines that I haven't heard from them yet, or whatever your specific situation is. And I think that it's up to each of us to You know, it's a really unique opportunity, I think, for us to bring our full selves in that way because we have an an unwritten permission to do so right now.
0: Mm. And
1: if you need to communicate that, even if it's not something you would be comfortable with, I mean, I'm seeing so many examples of people's, you know, kids climbing on them or you know, unfortunate, like the cameras on while you're still in the bathroom. I mean, we have all of these situations where it's literally, you're bringing your full self to work and that's all diversity and inclusion talks about. Bring your full self to work. Now you can't hide anything. Um, so I think that that goes for obviously the funny things as well as the hard things. And this will be hard. Mm. And I think for each of us as individuals and those of us who are in the place of privilege where we can actually lead and influence what our teams are doing or what our organizations are doing, it really falls on us to lead with compassion, lead with empathy, check in on ourselves as regularly as possible, and check in on our people wherever we can.
0: Mm, I I really love how you said it's it's collective permission. And it's so true. This is a, an unprecedented period where we're all experiencing it. So it is almost that unspoken permission to be able to say, Hey, I need a, a step back, but hopefully that will normalize. Um, it'll normalize so many things. It'll normalize, you know, needing to take a mental health time out, normalize caregiving in the workplace, normalize bringing all these different aspects of yourself to work so that you don't have to hide. Um, I. I think that, you know, we won't be the same after this crisis as we were before this this crisis.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think just to add one last bit to that, I think um, one conversation that's been happening a lot as well is, so everybody's working from home now, what's going to happen after this when we're allowed to have them back at the office? And, and that's a really valid question. I say that in jest, but I think it's something very important to consider. And it's actually a big part of the conversation that I'm having with my clients right now, which is, well, it's not just the fact that you're literally trying to cobble together a remote work policy and no judgment if you haven't had it before. That's often a missing part of diversity inclusion initiatives. Mm. But if that's something that you really say that you're committed to as a company, as a leader of an organization, now's the time to live your values. Now's the time to really think about, okay, well, not only am I going to make sure that my people know they're supported and I'm going to give them channels to coordinate with one another to know that they're supported, they're they're safe, that we're checking in on them, you know, not with 50 million emails, please, but just something (laughs) that allows people to know that, okay, just because I'm not in the office and I don't see you every day doesn't mean that you don't still care about my well-being. But then also thinking of taking, I'm working with clients now to take notes, like very diligent notes of what is working? What are you building? What are the the things that you're you know? Another great department that's doing amazing things right now is IT. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're really stepping up to the plate with everything with security and safety online. Yeah. Um, but it's really working with your 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 diversity and inclusion or your HR or your people teams to really think of okay, what's working in terms of flexible work? What are the protocols and policies that we have to have in place for people not just now that we know are working? but also as kind of a forced pilot project for what we're going to do in the future. Because if you really want to be a diverse and inclusive organization moving forward, you have to be thinking of, I just think of even women, the fact that how many countless women that I know as fellow entrepreneurs and business owners that walked away from the workplace when they decided to have kids mm. because flexible working didn't exist. How much knowledge and talent have you, has been lost just from one demographic
0: alone? right Yeah, exactly. And I do think that, you know, workplaces just aren't set up for women or, or for caregivers, but now hopefully, you know, it won't be the majority of the caregiving duties falling on women. Hopefully partners too, will start to shoulder some, some of that burden so that we can create workplaces and homes that, that work for everybody and allow everyone to succeed.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So, so yeah, I think that thinking about how do you support your current workforce with flexible working, but also think of how to make that a more integral component within the diversity and inclusion conversation, because I think that really will, like you said, no one, no one will be unaffected by this, this is going to change everyone. And I think it should change organizations for the better in terms of well, if we say that we want to equalize and democratize opportunities for all people, this is another the way that we should do. There's, this is another way that we should do that.
0: Yeah. And Kate, have you seen like any policies being put in place or kind of structures or ways of doing things that really seem to work when it comes to um, implementing more work from home?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I would say that really, it's just been how can we use technology creatively? I think that remote teams right now are for a, for someone like me, who's basically been working, you know, with her master's degree in waist up dressing for four or five years. Um, I think that I've had quite a bit of practice, but for those of us who, you know, don't necessarily have great broadband or don't necessarily have a, a desk that's in a separate part of the house, if we're in a smaller apartment, it's just, you know, working with people to create workspaces that they know are going to be relatively separate or set up. Well, it's encouraging things like, you know, Best practices for equipment, if possible, where your monitor height should be. If you have, you know, my husband works for a bank, or they gave them, you know, a work from home budget, and they encourage them to buy. Do you need a better seat so that your posture is better at work? Um, things like that. Like I think that's something that's working really well in terms of just the physical setup. The other aspect is then the technology itself of how you can continue to communicate and create. Like we said earlier, these spaces where culture can still thrive within a company. So, you know, some things have been really fun, like company GIF or music banks (laughs) for hosting virtual dance parties and cameras can be off, it's totally fine, Um, or to, you know, Yeah, exactly. Or virtual lunch and learns where, you know, employees within teams are even sharing, you know, parenting resources, recipes, uh, hobbies, exercise routines. Um, I think something that's really important is offering mental health days or even just writing in and letting managers know, or rather managers letting their direct reports and employees know that they can disconnect it for a few hours or, you know, leave early if they need to, to, you know, whether it's, you know, maybe going on a dog walk, if that's your, the only exercise to get out of the house for the day, or checking in on somebody that you need to take to a doctor's appointment. Um, you know, so there's so many different ways that you can play around with technology. It's really just a matter of, you know, are you going to use this as an opportunity to kind of start from scratch and almost see this as a blank slate for doing things differently? Or are you going to try to originally hold on to this is business as usual and this is what our culture actually looks like? And it's, it's really hard for us to break away from that. I think I know what the option that I would like to go is, but I also understand that every organization is at a different stage on their journey.
0: Okay, you just um, motivated me for number one to get a more Functional workspace. Uh, I'm hiding in the basement from my kids. My computer's on a laundry basket and I'm wearing a sweatshirt. So, yeah, that's number one (laughs) creating a a real like home office. And then I I love the idea of the music banks and the lunch and learns and just creating these like opportunities for social connection that might naturally happen if you're in person. But I guess we just have to be more intentional. And more mindful about them now. Like we, I just discovered that Zoom has breakout groups. So we yes. have virtual happy <laughs> hours. I didn't, i never realized that before. And we have these little breakout groups in our uh, consciously unbiased happy hours where different members will get, get together in smaller rooms. So it's not like 20 people on a call all at once. And you can have more one-on-one conversations, which I- From the
1: introverts in the room, yeah, like yeah. myself, that's very much appreciated. Thank you. Yes.
0: <laughs> Yeah, so that's been great. Um, yeah, so many so many amazing things and shifts that can happen to better accommodate the working from home. And you're right, this is a huge topic in terms of diversity and inclusion to kind of level the playing field of opportunities to keep people in the workplace um, who maybe showing up every day from eight to six isn't really going to be able to fit with the other responsibilities or factors in their life. Um, so I guess the, the last question is, uh, and I ask this of all our guests, is what is one action step that we can take, um, what we call it consciously unbiased microprogressions, to build workplaces that are more inclusive?
1: Ooh, this is such a great question. I would say that the first the first, I know it's so, it's so hard to choose just one. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I would say right now, practice humility. Mm. I mean, this is something that particularly is timely right now with everything happening in the world. But I think that practicing humility goes a long way, not just for those of us who are considered non minorities, but also for anyone who's looking to be an ally like myself as a woman of color who is, for example, a non-black woman of color Mm -hmm. or someone who is looking to be a better ally for anyone who identifies as non-binary. I think the humility is something that's really important that requires, you know, diversity inclusion to me is not just a couple of buzzwords, but actually an ongoing practice and for you to practice and build the muscle and you know there's i was saying this to someone the other day it's not like a super mario brothers game where you just magically get to a level where like i'm woke yes i win um but it's rather an ongoing um you know just journey of oh i didn't realize that i didn't know that this is a bias i have to dismantle this is a privilege that i have that i can use and that humility that approach i think rather than a specific step could be just a a word that you can take with you and use to approach your conversations, both within the workplace and even in your daily life.
0: Mm, So by humility, um, you're saying one way to cultivate it is just to recognize the areas where you may have privilege and how you can use that to to help others who may not be in the same position?
1: I think being, yeah, definitely a part of it. But I would also say just being humble in terms of if you really want to commit to making yourself not just an inclusive leader but also somebody who practices and preaches it in your day-to-day life mm. it really requires you to be okay with learning constantly mm-hmm. <laughs> unlearning, which is another big one and even in some cases unbecoming some parts of of yourself that you didn't even realize were, were there that were that were biased or that were you know just not not as productive, I think, for the conversations as, as we would each individually like. Nobody magically knows all the vocabulary. Nobody magically knows all the things to do. But mm. I think if you approach it from a place of I'm here and I'm willing to learn and I surrender to the fact that I won't know everything, but the importance is in learning. I think that's a good approach to when I say the word humility.
0: Mm. Oh, thank you. So learning, unlearning, and in some cases, on becoming, that's all, those are all key components to growth. And that's what I love about this work is it can be uncomfortable. And like you said, you need humility, especially when um, recognizing certain thought patterns or biases that you have that maybe you weren't aware of, or you didn't want to admit before. Um, All all of those things requires humility, and, and that in turn leads to growth. And in the end, I think that ultimately makes us so much better. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for being our guest today on Breaking the Bias and um, for sharing your your amazing insights. We loved having you on the show.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Holly. I really appreciate it. And stay safe out there.
0: You can learn more about our amazing guest and get show notes at consciouslyonbias.com slash listen. And we want to hear from you. Please subscribe and rate Breaking the Bias on iTunes and Spotify. And drop us a note to let us know if there's a topic that you'd really want to hear about or a guest that you'd love to see on the show. Thanks for listening to Breaking the Bias.